All right, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you. Uh, my name is Eric Wakeling, if we haven't met yet, although I'm getting a little sick of myself even, so, you know, I'm sure you are too. Uh, but <laughs> there it is. Um, okay, so today we're continuing. Uh, this is just the third of three sermons where I've been talking in this season, this season between uh, when the announcement was made of the elders' recommendation towards the vote on November 12th and uh, the third of three sermons are a little different, I would say, than normal of what we would no- normally do. But it's a way of just uh, of me kind of expressing a bit of my heart for the Lord and my heart for ministry and, and, and vision. Not in the sense of, hey, here's these programs and strategies and things that we're going to do. But more of for you to get a, a bit of a sense of, of my heart for ministry. And so the first of those, we talked a little bit about uh, rootedness. And, having, and being rooted in Christ, being rooted in the Word of God, being rooted in the long-standing um, just values and beliefs of Calvary Church. And then I shared a little bit of my calling story with you of how God has called me into to pastoral ministry. Uh, and then, uh, so that's the first one. Then the next one we talked about passion and joy and, and how we need to be a people who are passionate for Jesus in our worship and in our lives and how really that, that passion that comes out of us is, is evangelism. I mean, that shows Jesus to the world as they see our passion for God. And then we talked about challenge and how we need to be people who can bring a challenge without being a challenging person to be around. And how a little bit of how God has shaped me over the years from maybe being a little more of that challenging person to being around. Uh, and, and to having more of that spirit of love and grace. And, and so that, that was that next week. And now here on this, this last one, well, we're going to talk a little bit about united and shepherding. Okay, these last two words, these, these values of unity and of being a shepherd. And so we want to, to share and talk about uh, what that looks like and why that's important for me and I think for all of us. And I do think that as part of that, you'll also be able to, I want this to be about how we can be living our lives in these ways, all of us. All right, so let's get into it. The first one, united unity, biblical unity. And, and what is that actually about? What does biblical unity actually mean? Because I think a lot of times we'll read about unity or we'll hear about unity and it is, maybe we just kind of think, hey, can't we all just get along? Is that what it's about only? Is it just us... Um, you know, kind of having a warm, fuzzy feeling of, of not disagreeing a lot. What is that and why? Like, what's the, the point of biblical unity? Is there a purpose? Is there a why behind it as God would bring it? So I want to just have us go through a few verses. There's tons of passages about unity in the Scripture. I mean, we, even, we read that, that one from Philippians earlier in the service. But I want to go through a few and just see how God is speaking to us about unity and what's the point of it here. Okay, so the first is from Colossians. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. It says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. I don't know if you remember, if you were here a couple years ago, Matt Davis and I did a sermon together where I was actually more of a prop for his sermon. And we went through these things and I was putting on different shirts uh, that represented all of these words until I looked about 30 to 40 pounds bigger in not the good ways, you know, and, and it was a little awkward looking, but, but uh, it was just to illustrate that we put these things on. 
Okay, there's a, obviously the Holy Spirit does this work, but we also recognize, hey, there's times when we don't feel like being these things, but we put them on and we live them out regardless. So we put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. All right, so to get to unity, we have to put on all of these things. Forgiving each other, bearing with one another, that we have compassion and humility, but mostly love. That as we love one another, that is how we are able to get to this point of unity in our lives. And uh, the, the Greek word here for unity is really, it's, it's just straight up perfection or even perfect harmony. Perfect harmony that we would have with one another. And so that's the kind of life we have to live to get to unity, that the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us. And then we ramp it up a step to this 1 Corinthians 1.10 passage. And it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. All right. So this one's getting a little bit like more intense. Like be all of the same mind. I want you to agree. No divisions. So we have to think about what's going on here. And I think one thing that's sort of, uh, I think, beautiful about this, this Greek word for united here is it means restored or completed and it's this sense that there were divisions. There's divisions. There's arguing. In verse 11, 12, 13, this passage continues on to talk about these quarrels. There was quarrels among them, and they needed to be complete and restored. And unity is, is really talked about in some strong words that, that to me have a little bit of a resemblance to, I think, the Hebrew notion of shalom. This this peace that's wholeness, completion, right? And it's this unity is kind of along the lines of that. But you look at it and it says, okay, there's divisions among you and I want you to agree, but about what? What were these divisions about and what do they need to agree upon? <laughs> the divisions were about leadership. And what you have going on in this church is you have people saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And so these people are saying that, that they're of these different people. Not just that these, they enjoy the teaching of these people or they, they like them, but no, that they find their identity in these different leaders. And now they're fighting amongst each other because of who they follow more. And that's, he's saying, no, 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 that's all wrong. This is the thing you actually have to have the same mind. You have to agree on this. You have to agree that you are of Jesus Christ. That is where you find your identity. That is who you are of. You can have all these different teachers and leaders that they had in this day. But they have to say, no, no, we agree on this one thing. And that's the way we come together. And so we see that, that that kind of unity is finding our similarity, our, our unity in Christ. It doesn't mean we have the same opinions on everything that there is. No, no, but we are of Jesus. All right, <clears throat> one more passage. And this passage is in John 17. 
And this is actually, this is the words of Jesus. This is Jesus talking to the Father. And he says to the Father, I, this is Jesus, I in them, in the people, and you, Father, in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Okay? Perfected in unity. This unity means perfectly one. So what he wants for the people is the same perfect oneness that the Father and Son have together, that the, that the Trinity has together. That's the same kind of unity that God wants for us. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That's that kind of, uh, of the unity we're looking for. It's this unity like, like the Trinity has. But why? Why do we need to have this kind of unity? It says it right here. So that the world may know. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So the big why about unity, why have unity at all? It's not just so that we can all get along or not have arguments or not have disagreements. It's so the world may know Jesus. Our unity has a purpose. Our unity has a point other than just getting along. It's so that people would know Jesus, that people see the way that we are united together around the one thing of Jesus, and it allows them then to see Jesus through us. And so that's the point. When we talk about better together, that's what it's all about. We say that we are to be better together, this family, that we're united together to love like Jesus across all cultures and generations. That vision is purposeful. We have to be united. We have to be one together to be able to then actually accomplish the vision of loving like Jesus across cultures and generations. And so that's that calling. And what I want for you is to see that purpose behind it and to have a sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel. That we would say, hey, the gospel message of Jesus, this isn't just about me only sharing that message, but it's about me being united with my brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing that together in some way. And I think that is what shines that light of Christ to the world. We are in perfect unity so that the world may know. So that the world may know. So that's the whole point of this Better Together vision. That's why we have been advocating this so strong. So <clears throat> let's talk about Better Together. Why, like, a little bit more about Better Together. Why we're better together. I've been, I feel like I was singing all the songs in first service and this service, like, way too loud. And then I now can't talk anymore. But uh, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so we are better together. We are united to survive the storms. Okay, now here's what I mean. That when, when rough times come our way, when life is hard, we have one another. I want you to check out this little video of these ants. These ants have this crazy thing where when a flood comes, these fire ants, what they do is they actually all pile on top of each other, okay, to survive. To survive the storm, this giant is a giant pile of ants. You can see them moving, right? And what they do is like somehow they're able with the way they're designed that they can float with this and that they all just get all on top of each other. They literally stick together, okay? And that's how they survive through that flood. And so when you think about this with Better Together, that when we have in our world, when tragedies happen, when crazy things happen in our world, 
when things happen in our church, when things happen in our personal lives, that we come together, we stick together, and we're able to weather and survive that storm. And so that's a big part of it, that as we are better together, we survive the storm. When we are better together, we are united in that way to be strong. That we actually can do more, accomplish more together than we can apart. And I think that there's certain things that we would do as a church. That we have a vision for, for certain things that we say, hey, we're all on board with this thing. Like, let's all do this. We can't do it for everything, but for certain things. Like vacation Bible school in the summer, right? You, you see this amazing thing that happens the week of VBS where the entire church comes together. I mean, people donate stuff. They donate money. They, they bring food. They do all sorts of crazy things. We have over 500 volunteers. Every staff person in ministry on campus is all in to make this one thing happen. And it is the number one way that we see people come to know Jesus at Calvary Church. And it's this incredible event because we're all in it together. Now, we can't do that every day of every week. We get that. But at some level, we want to see, okay, what are the things that we're all, all in for, right? And when we come together in those, we see incredible impact. And I think we got to think about, okay, um, sharing the gospel, being good neighbors, impacting our, our neighborhoods with the gospel of Jesus, being a church that warmly welcomes in people, that when people come into our community, they're not just had their hands shaken and with a smile, but they're welcomed in, like included all the way into our family. That kind of stuff, we got to be all in for that. We all need to be in it or else it doesn't work. There's a, it's a little fable kind of story. This fable, uh, it has this, this man, this father is on his deathbed and he has four sons. And these four sons are, are, are just, they, they, they're always bickering and arguing and they're actually tearing each other down so that they can lift themselves up. And you have uh, just all of this conflict and strife within this family. But the father's dying, and he calls the, the four sons into his room. And he, he says to them, he has actually these, this bundle of four sticks. And he takes this bundle of four sticks tied together, and he hands it to, the, to one of his sons and says, break this. You know, and the son can't break it. He passes it to the next one. He can't break it. The next can't break it. And he passes it to the last son and the, you know, the baby of the family, who's the snarky one, says, uh, which is me, so I can say that. But uh, he, he pulls one out, snaps it, pulls the other one out, snaps it, pulls the other one out, snaps it, and breaks all four of those sticks. And the father says, yeah, this is exactly it, that this is you guys. That, you know, you are so in conflict with one, each, with, with one another that you can be broken so easily. But you got to come together. Because when you're tied together, you can't be broken. And so it's that sense that we are stronger when we are together. We are better together and we're stronger in that. We aren't just—and so we are not just united to be strong, to survive, but to make an impact. And so we want to be people who make an impact in our world for Jesus Christ. And that's why even things like the Better Together vision, you know, it, it can't just be a slogan or a phrase that we use, but that's why it actually impacts the things that we do. That we would have vision that affects how we do things. And so sometimes that involves change, right? And change is hard for a lot of us. 
And so some of those changes might be uncomfortable for some of us. But we recognize that we're united for a purpose, and so we want to lean into that purpose. And so we have to be willing to sacrifice. Each of us has to be willing to sacrifice. Every generation has to be willing to sacrifice, to make sacrifices, to be united. And some of those might just be hard work. That might just look like hard work, the sacrifice. And sometimes it's giving up of what you love. I'll tell you a little bit uh, more about my family. Um, and just a couple little, like, kind of fun stories or funny stories, I think, that, that illustrate some of this. But it revolves around some of my family's traditions. And uh, things that we do to be united, but ways that we have to make sacrifices or, or do hard work, just in some fun ways. Um, my, my mom's side of the family is all, all Swedish, all from, from Sweden, and uh, my dad's side's from England. And, uh, but the, the Swedish tends to rule our Christmas uh, traditions. Excuse me, and this, what you see here, is uh, making of Swedish meatballs. This is making of real Swedish meatballs from scratch. All right, not Ikea frozen bag Swedish meatballs, okay? That's like comparing beef-flavored dog food to a filet mignon, all right? That's literally the difference. <clears throat> and that's also why they cost $1.99 for like 30 of them but, uh, at Ikea. But these are, these are legit. They're good. They're amazing. They're from scratch. It's food of love, that kind of thing. And what you see on the left is my mom uh, teaching B and I a while back of how to make the Swedish meatballs the right way. It was the, the tradition being passed down. And then what you see uh, on the right is uh, myself with my daughters of us all forming the meatballs, okay? And it's this big, huge labor of love. Uh, it takes forever. It's exhausting. I mean, we make like 300 of them or something, but, you know, it's Christmas and everybody loves them and it's good. And so we, we love the meatballs and there's tons of them there, but it's, it's hard work. But it's this thing of, it's, it's fun, it's beautiful, but it's a sense that we pass these things down, we take the time to learn them, and then we do the hard work that it takes because it, it has this beautiful result. And for us, this is a fun tradition in our family. And we're willing to do the hard work because we love how it brings us together. Another one that's a Swedish tradition is not quite so delicious. It's a thing called lutefisk, all right? Lutefisk is a Swedish word for disgusting fish. Uh, and I don't think that's actually the meaning, but it could be. But what you see on the right is what the lutefisk looks like after it's, uh, it's been prepared. It's sort of prepared for you in some way, and then you finish cooking it. What, what happens is, is lutefisk is this white cod that has been, um, it has been soaked in lye. Lie. I mean, I think that would kill you, right? Like, and, and then they rinse it out, and then you get it, and it looks like that. Now, I would never have that much of it. This was a stock photo because we just, I don't take pictures of the loot fist because it's gross. But um, you, you have this stuff, and then you, you take this prepared fish, and you wrap it in cheesecloth, and you boil it for a while, and then you put this cream sauce over it. And there was only two people in my family uh, before my mom passed away they would eat it. It was my mom and my brother-in-law, Rodney, who's not Swedish at all, but he's like this human garbage disposal and just will eat anything. Um, <clears throat> But we still make the lutefisk, right? We make the lutefisk, even though now there's only one person uh, that eats it. And what you see on the left is me in my old look, my glasses and goatee look, which maybe you missed. But uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, but 
that's my Lutefisk chef hat. And then what I think really defines Lutefisk and helps you understand how it's gross is the directions on this mug. One, take one Lutefisk. Two, get rid of it. That's <laughs> and that's how Swedes feel about Lutefisk. But uh, what's funny and interesting is that we make the Lutefisk every year. We make it even though nobody eats it. <laughs> Tradition, right? And it's, it brings us together in some way. I don't know. It's a, it's a silly sacrifice, but the gross smell of loot fisk in the air, of kind of a rotten fish smell, it gets us ready for Jesus' birth. <laughs> but uh, it is this, this beautiful thing of this sacrifice to make this thing because uh, it, it brings our family together. Uh, a third way of sacrifice as a family is uh, I, I really love camping. I wish our family could go camping all the time. My wife and my two precious daughters, they despise camping. Uh, so most of the time, the sacrifice is me not going camping for them. Uh, a couple years ago, we, we have this other uh, strange family tradition in the Wakeling home that we spend Thanksgiving Day out in Joshua Tree. It's out at Indian Cove, Joshua Tree. We take all the fixings. We do full-on turkey dinner out at Joshua Tree in a campground. And sometimes we camp. Sometimes we just stay for the day. Sometimes get a Verbo, you know, <laughs> and a hotel room, whatever. But, um, but this time, my, my wife said a couple years ago, okay, fine, we can go camping. And this is what it looked like. You have a picture of three unhappy uh, women in my home. And but for them, this was sacrifice. Because the thing is, is I had this one shot to go camping. And I went in late November in Joshua Tree, and it's freezing. I don't know if you've ever been out there at that time of year, but it's literally freezing cold and these bitter winds. And these are my, uh, this is my precious family sacrificing for me. That uh, there's this thing that they knew I loved, but most of the time— and ever since I sacrificed for that. <laughs> uh, so there, but there's this thing, right, where we, we give to the other. We give to, to serve the other person. That's what love is. That's what true friendship, I think, is. That's what marriage is, is that it's all to, we come in to love and to serve the other person, not of what we get for ourselves. And that's, you know, that's what it's about. And that's what we are, are called to do, that we would have this unity together as we give. We care about the needs of the other more than we care about the needs of ourselves. And I think that we are willing to do that when we recognize that there's a purpose behind it, a why. I don't want to just be united so that we can all feel like we don't have to have arguments or something. That doesn't sound, there's nothing in that for me. But when there's a purpose of the urgency of the gospel of Jesus to a dying world that's dying without God and far away from him, that we would take the message of the gospel, not just with our words, but also with how we are united together. Now that gets me fired up so that the world may know Jesus. That's why we are united. And that's what unity looks like to me as a pastor here at Calvary Church. So unity. Unity is a huge value. The other one we're going to look at today is shepherding. That a pastor is a shepherd. That we are called to be shepherds. But what does shepherding actually mean? What is shepherding? I don't know if you realize this, but shepherding means to be a shepherd of sheep, animals. (laughs) 
It's plain and simple, right? That's really what it is. That's all it is, is when you look in the Bible, you've got, usually there were little boys, young boys, that would walk along and they'd have a bunch of these sheep following them, actual animals. And they would take them to food or to water. They protect them. They care for them, right? That's what a shepherd does. And that's what shepherd means. And in the Greek, there's no difference. There's, no, there's, there, there's not two different words for shepherd and pastor, it's just all is shepherd, poemen. That's it. Now, same thing actually like in Spanish. It's just one word, like shepherd, pastor. There's, no, there's not two words for it. It's just the same word. But in English, we have one word for shepherding animals and one word for shepherding people. We have shepherd and pastor. And it actually, I think, kind of messes us up because that's not how the Bible intended it. That it just, it really intends for there to be this one word. Uh, But we have to kind of get around that in our head of, okay, why is there a couple different words? But when we look at shepherding, whether it's for animals or shepherding for people, I want us to look into a couple of these passages of scripture. And the first is John 10. It's not going to be on the screen. You can turn to it in your Bibles if you'd like. Um, John 10 is this whole parable of the good shepherd that Jesus tells. In verse 3 and 4, he says, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. So Jesus talking about this this good shepherd, which is himself, he he tells us later on in, in verse 11. But the sheep know his voice. He knows them by name. He calls them. He, he leads and they follow. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That Jesus lays down his life for us. But as we consider being a shepherd that is good, that's the kind of sacrifice we're willing to make for the other. You know, uh, if you've heard Dave talk about... Uh, He's talked about how Jesus is the senior pastor of our church, right? And that we're, you know, he says, I'm the assistant to the senior pastor. And uh, I love that. And it's just, it comes from this. It comes from John 10 and it comes from the next verse we'll look at, 1 Peter 5. That Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He is the one that we all follow. And then we're like sheep dogs, essentially, that are kind of helping in the, in the work. And so that's what we're called to do. And so you see this this care, but it's also, it's care with strength, as you see in John 10 of a shepherd. First Peter 5, uh, just the first few verses of that, you have um, Peter talking about elders and, and, and shepherding as elders. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed, he says this, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not, uh, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then it goes on to talk about humility as, a, as an attribute as well. And so that is the, this, this role of the shepherd. And it's the kind of shepherd that, that I hope and, and pray for and long to be. The last passage, just, just real briefly, Ephesians 4. 
Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 is really the one spot in our English Bibles that, uh, at least here in this NASB, that uses the word pastor for that Greek word shepherd. Ephesians 4, 11 says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors, there it is, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. All right? We all have different roles. We all have different responsibilities, different callings. We all come together for the equipping of the saints, building up of the body for the work of service. That's what we do, and that's what a, a pastor, a shepherd, will do. And that's what I hope to be and long to be and want us to be as a church for each other. Because I feel called not just to be a, a preacher or a manager or a strategic leader— even though that's some of even the, the giftings that I would have. But to be a shepherd. To sit in those hospital rooms with hurting people. To, you know, do the weddings and funerals and have coffee with young and old. To just talk about life and talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus. To, you know, to moderate conflict between people that are part of our church. To to be that, that person that is able to give some theological insight. And when we are in a world of just deconstructing everything that we believe and to help build that back up again. To shepherd. To pastor. And, you know, just if I could be kind of open and if I could be real a second, you know. Not that I haven't been real already, but just kind of reveal a bit more. Uh, you know, it's been this, this season that we've been in. Between September 3rd, with the announcement of the elders' recommendation, to leading us towards November 12th, that this season of time for me personally has been one of the strangest seasons of my life. (laughs) And what I want to explain that to you is just to think about it for a minute. To think about where you are in a season of your life where there are a couple thousand people that are talking about whether they like you or not, and what they like about you and what they don't like about you. Sometimes when you're there, and sometimes when you're not. And I'm not sure which one I'd actually prefer at this point. But uh, it is just, it's just an interesting season. It's actually been a very growing season for me. I think it has helped me to really learn of what it looks like to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus and his voice as my good shepherd versus the voices of, of anything else, whether good or bad. And so what, what, I, what I've also then experienced in the midst of this season uh, has, been, has been interesting is recently had the honor and, and privilege to be a part of a, a memorial service in the, the season of time for a young man in our church and in our community. And then also to be a part of next weekend doing a, a wedding for a couple that just that do need a lot of help, you know? And uh, been sitting just with some people, and, you know, it's been a lot of people involved, but with some people who, who have been hurting, and then sitting with some people that are excited about this next stage, but kind of aren't ready for it in some ways, you know, and trying to help prepare them for that. And it's been just, uh, honestly, for me, those, those couple things, um, kind of aside of, of them in their own right, have been, I think, a really important time for me in the midst of this season to remember what's the point of all of this. 
Because when I, I'm a pastor, because, A, because I feel called by God to be a pastor. But also, B, I'm a pastor to sit in those moments with people, you know? Uh, I'm not a pastor to do Q&A panels. <laughs> but uh, I'm a pastor to, to sit in those moments of life with people. And, and those are hard, but those are meaningful, right? And, and for me, that was kind of, those were grounding moments of, of, of why we're here. And why even we are all here together. We're here to be for each other in those seasons. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. And that's what it looks like, I think, to shepherd and to pastor. And so, I don't know, I just, I think that was an important reminder for me. And I think what I, what I hope for you to recognize is that we're all ministers of the gospel, right? We're all ministers of the gospel. We all shepherd one another. When I look back on, on my life and people that have, have uh, really discipled me, and I think even people that have brought pastoral care in some way to me in some difficult seasons and maybe some different crises in life. Really, none of those people was a pastor in a church. Those were all people that were part of the body that came around and gave me that support and care. Like some of those most influential people in my life. And I've, obviously I've learned and grown from different pastors in my life, but, but like some of those people throughout my life weren't. And so what I don't want you to think is that you can outsource shepherding from yourself to others, okay? That you can say, hey, no, 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 that's the job for those people, right? We've outsourced that to the, the clergy. No, 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 we're all shepherds. We all have that role in each other's life, and we come around, and we, we disciple, and we comfort, we care, we pray, we're a support. And that's what it looks like for all of us, for the body to shepherd the body, that we care for each other. I even love some of the analogy of the body, of how th- this group of people were called the body of Christ, right? And, and even when we think about our physical bodies, when we, need, when we need healing, oftentimes our body just sort of heals itself, right? It's incredible to watch. Like I cut my finger really bad a couple weeks ago. And I just, I've been sort of amazed at the simplicity of watching the, have you ever like just watch that on your own self of how suddenly the, like the scab's getting smaller and the skin is increasing. That's somehow mind-blowing to me of how that works. That the body is sitting there working on healing itself. We are the body and we help heal one another. We're shepherding and caring for one another. We bring that, that healing that each one of us needs, that care. We bring that to each other. And so then for me, as a shepherd, as a pastor, what I want to do is I'm following Jesus— And I hope that you would want to follow Jesus with me, but also then just with each other, right? We follow Jesus, we help people come along with us, and we're all in this thing together. And that's what it is. We're shepherding one another, we're gathered around each other, we're listening to the voice of our chief and good shepherd. And so my desire is that we would be a church that is rooted, that is passionate, that challenges each other, that is, that is united and then shepherds each other. Why? Why do we do all of that again? It's so that the world may know Jesus. It all has a point and it all has a conclusion that is this, that the world may know that we would do anything, all that we do is out of that mission, that we have this one purpose, that the world may know Jesus. 
And so I envision a church. I picture a church that is so united, so together, and cares for one another so well that people notice, that people are just mind-blown on it, and it causes them to know Jesus. I picture a church that has this passion and joy when we worship God in this room, that it's, it's just emanating out of us in this way that people are just like freaked out almost by it. They're like, what's happening here? It's so they may know Jesus. It's that same passion in the way we live our lives, in our, in our jobs, and in our hobbies, and in our gifts, and our art, and whatever that our lives are about, that we live all of that out with the kind of passion so that the world may know Jesus. I picture us being the kind of church that where we are such good neighbors to the people around our church and the people around where we live, where we work, where we go to school, all of those places, that we are such good neighbors to them that they're, they're blown away by it and they want to know more. And that's even why we'll do an event like Neighbor Good is coming up, okay? This whole thing's coming up real soon, November 11th. And it is just this way that we can be a good neighbor to the people around Calvary, of serving them, of helping them, and, and, and providing what they need, but being a light so the world may know. Light the Night's coming up really soon, right? Our Halloween event where we come and we just have this crazy thing with thousands of people that come. And what I would hope is imagine a church that doesn't just do Light the Night and just do the event, but that we actually are a light in that night for Jesus. So maybe that's you not just donating candy or helping serve at a booth at Light the Night, which we need a lot of, but it's also just walking around and maybe it's striking up conversations with people that show up to an event like that and talk to them about who you are and why we do all this and what's the point of it all so that the world may know all of this. We are united. We are shepherding. We're doing all of it so that people know Jesus. And I hope that we understand that. That's what I want to center my life around. That's what I hope to center our church around. And I hope that you'd be with me. Let's pray. We're going to worship more. We're going to have people available for prayer for you in these spots over here, these prayer points. I'd ask leaders, elders, prayer team people, uh, pastors, directors, whoever, come forward and help people pray. Let's pray through this stuff. Pray through with whatever's going on in your life. And let's worship God with that kind of passion that is evangelism. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you and we say thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, for the examples that you give in your word. Lord, what we see here about unity. Oh man, it just helps me so much to, to see, Lord, the purpose behind it. And so God, I pray that you would just imprint that upon our hearts. That we would be united so the world may know. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the strength to do all this stuff because we cannot do this of our own power. It's meaningless. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work through us. Give us the words to say. Give us the strength to do it. Give us, Lord, these opportunities that we have to be a light for you in this world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's remain prayerful and quiet.